Welcome to Onside, the official podcast from the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Our mission is to protect the health of athletes and the integrity of Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Onside. I'm Tim Gable. Well, the coronavirus is impacting many aspects of our daily life, including anti-doping. We're working closely with the Department of Health, national sporting organisations, international federations and other national anti-doping organisations to identify at-risk testing missions amid the threat of coronavirus. The health and safety of all of our staff and the athletes we engage is ASADA's priority. Athlete safety and that of our staff takes precedence over testing. We have and will continue to alter a planned testing mission if a risk to athletes or our staff is identified. And we're working with sports to identify athletes or teams that may have travelled to an at-risk country as per the advice from the Department of Health and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, or if any athlete is in isolation due to potential exposure to coronavirus. Well, today on Onside, our special guest is the CEO of the US anti-doping agency, Travis Target. Uh, Travis, firstly, welcome to the ASADA headquarters here in Canberra. Uh, firstly, what is the reason for the visit to Australia? Well, thanks, Tim. It's awesome to be here. Um, you know, we've, we've always had a, a wonderful relationship with ASADA and David Sharp and I have gotten to be close through this uh, NATO Leaders Group. So the opportunity to come down and, and exchange ideas and learn from what Asada's doing was, uh, you know, something we've been planning for a little while. And in addition to that, I'm going to see some of the racehorsing folks uh, because you may be aware, but there's a piece of legislation in the U.S. that, um, if passed, um, would have us involved with overseeing and helping with the anti-doping and medication control program for horse races. So taking advantage of the opportunity. What can USADA learn from ASADA? What, what, what sort of things are you looking at there? Well, it's just amazing what ASADA's been able to do over the last few years, um, you know, with the increase in funding that, it, uh, that we all frankly need, um, being able to build the team that, that David's built and now with this new integrity act and the possibilities um, that arise from it, as well as I was here yesterday uh, when the National Tribunal was announced. So, so being able to come down and, and learn how things operate here in Australia, you know, it's funny, 20 years ago, we're coming up on our 20 year anniversary here at USADA October of this year. Um, one of the first organizations we reached out to was ASDA at the time, and it's been a wonderful um, opportunity to see what the Australians who, uh, you know, are very passionate about sport, but are also seem to be very passionate about making sure sport is held to the highest levels of integrity to see sort of the cutting edge and front end of the curve of what is effective around integrity in sport, anti-doping included. So it's just a wonderful opportunity for me to be down here and, and learn from you all. Specifically, what could you learn from Australia? Is it nuts and bolts, things like meetings, or is it a little more than that in terms of intelligence, testing? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's all the above. I mean, we had a wonderful sort of strategy and policy discussion yesterday. We got a chance to sit down with the Australian sports minister and from a government perspective to see what, you know, the government is doing around integrity, obviously mentioned the Integrity Act and the National Tribunal, but then it's also nuts and bolts. I mean, having the chance to sit in on the senior leader team meeting here and seeing how that operates and the, you know, the number of um, opportunities to ensure that the strategy of the organization is making its way down to the operations. I'm, I'm going to meet with the education team later today, the legal team later today to hear how they approach cases, what, you know, if they've seen trends that we see, 
obviously spending time with the investigative staff to make sure our communication is is you know uh, aligned as possible and and really just forging that relationship on on all levels of the organization to for me to be able to take back to you know USADA and make sure that you know we're running as sharp as we can um, and you always learn from other organizations about ways you can do things better and then also ensuring that we're communicating and partnering with strong anti-doping agencies like USADA going forward um, because we're all better when we work together. So how is USADA perceived then by the rest of the world? I guess we work here uh, in Canberra and the wider community in Australia. Really don't, I guess, the impression um, has to come from somebody like you. Listen, I, I think the the impression um, when David Sharp took over has been, you know, an energetic, um, excited um, ready to, you know, reposition anti-doping and talking about and, and, and leading the world and how important it is to have, you know, a, a solid and strong national anti-doping organization and, and also being willing to use that position to influence the world. Um, and David and, and the organization certainly has done that over the past, you know, couple of years since he's been here in leadership. And, and I think everyone really respects um, and thinks very highly of what Asada's been able to achieve and what they're doing. And, and look, I think, you know, it's fortunate your own um, government here recognizes that as well with, you know, the passing of the Integrity Act and some of the other um, activities that are that are going on here in the country. But it's, you know, they're, they're certainly, I think, seen as leading the world. I think that Asada could probably learn from some of the, your experiences as well with U.S. Postal, the Balco investigation, and um, obviously Alberto Salazar more recently. You've been involved in a number of big organisational operations, haven't you? When you have a look at Lance Armstrong and U.S. Postal in particular, that was massive. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's it's hard to, I guess, put it in real perspective at this at this point because we're still in the fight, right? And we sort of say around our, our office, we want the next, the, the greatest thing we've ever done to be something in the future, not in the past. So we probably don't take the time to look back and reflect. Um, that, that said, I think it's just the, the commitment um, to doing what's right for clean athletes is the paradigm by which we follow. And sometimes it's tough and nobody ever likes to have to hold a you know, global icon accountable or take away five medals from a Marion Jones, for example, out of the Sydney Olympic Games. Those are, those are tough moments and, and you wish those athletes hadn't made the decision to cheat. Um, but what's clear and I think has, has proven to athletes in the United States at least is there's an independent organization and even if you're a global icon or a medal winner, if you break the rules, the rules are going to be enforced fairly against you. And I think that hopefully gives them confidence to play by the rules and know that there's an independent organization that has their back and is going to protect them. Whether you're a global icon or whether you're a weekend warrior, the rules are the rules and everyone has to play by the rules. You've been quite vocal against Russia as well, haven't you? Yeah, and, and not really against Russia, against cheating, right? Against I mean, cheating in Russia. Yeah, I mean, we, we, were, we were, it's funny, we were accused during the Armstrong case of being anti-American and siding, quote unquote, with the French because we brought the case against Lance Armstrong. So, you know, I, 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 I point to what our North Star is, clean athletes. And whether it's uh, an American, whether it's a Russian, whether it's any, you know, so an Australian, if, if you cheat and break the rules, you should be held accountable. And that's the 
code that we've all agreed to within the Olympic movement. And if you think about it, the Olympic movement is, you know, founded on this idea of fairness and the rule of law and fair play. I mean, it's, it, yes, it's entertainment, but it's supposed to be different than just pro sport, win at all cost. It, it's something more special than that. And so if we're willing to blindly, you know, turn away from, you know, egregious violations and let those who, you know, act in the opposite of what the Olympic values are all about, you know, the, the Olympic values is going to lose all of its meaning. And, and I think we've got to stand up in a fair, consistent way um, for whether you're Russian, whether you're American, whether you're Australian, you, you break the rules, you have to be held accountable. The, the Sun Yang case, what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, it was great that WADA um, appealed the decision um, from the FINA. You know, it was disappointing the FINA panel came out where it did, and then the the time that it took to ultimately get the appeal was disappointing. And, I, and I've said it before, but I think, you know, athletes at the World Championships, for example, while that appeal was pending, were put in a really bad position and, and, and no, no fault of their own. Um, but the system, I firmly believe, let them down. Now, that said, it's great that WADA appealed it. Um, and that's what, you know, WADA should do when you've got an in-house, uh, you know, sport organization trying to make the decision in the first instance. And I think justice was ultimately served. I mean, he got an eight-year suspension. We'll, we'll see what the decision looks like because it's not out yet um, other than the press release announcing the conclusion. And I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people are really interested to see the reasoning behind why they allowed him to keep the world championship medals. And, and as you know, I think the rule is – it should be disqualified from the date of the offense forward, which would have included disqualification of the world championship medals. Um, they, the panel can find fairness would dictate otherwise and allow them to keep medals while they compete. And, and I'm just curious to see, you know, what were the facts that allowed him to keep those medals? At the end of the day, I think we should always defer to clean athletes. And if someone gets an eight-year suspension for tampering, their results from the day of the offense forward should be um, suspended, and I was sorry in this case that that didn't happen. But, but really anxious to see what the actual reason decision says about that point. Uh, from a personal point of view, do you, do you feel as though at times you have made yourself a target? Do, do you ever worry about that at all? You know, I, I just I, I hear from athletes. Um, I, I talk with athletes in our pool and those that have gone, you know, retired. Um, and and I don't I don't care. I know there's political pressures put on a lot of people, and I get those all the time. You know whether it's uh, NOCs or the IOC or you know even WADA themselves. I, I think we have an obligation to stand up for athletes, and our athletes are demanding that their rights be upheld. And when the system lets them down, you know who's who's holding WADA accountable. And unfortunately, you know the structure of it with the governments um, sitting around the table. There, there's not much accountability, if any. And so we've got governments that are paying taxpayer money into an organization um, that needs to be held accountable. And unfortunately, there's no mechanism really to do that. And so when questions come up in the press and we're asked, um, we're going to be truthful about, you know, the view that um, we see and what our athletes see, because our athletes expect us to stand arm in arm with them to um, ensure that the system is good as it can be. You know, I, I often get, well, we're improving and it'll get better. I mean, I think a, I think of 2016, the Rio Olympics, there were 1,913 athletes from 10 high-risk sports, 1,913 athletes from 10 high-risk sports that had no tests leading into the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. You know, Michael Phelps and I testified in Congress in 2017, and he said, you know, that's unacceptable. I think the testimony was he had been tested uh, 11 times 
in the months leading into Rio. So that inequity in the system is a, is a major problem that our athletes are looking to us to say, Travis, USADA, we're, we're happy to be held to the highest standard, but we got to make sure everyone else is being held to the highest standards as well. And, and that's simply what we're doing. And, you know, whether politicians or sport leaders want to attack USADA or me personally, you know, I, I don't, I don't mind that too much. Just as a final question, the, the battle to, to make sport clean and fair, it, it just seems to be an ongoing battle. Just when you think you've won it, it uh, seems as though it rears its head once again, doesn't it? When you have a look at the, uh, the the test results coming out of London, for instance, which was deemed to be the cleanest games of all, and we're still finding that, that people have tested positive retrospectively from those from those games. Yeah, listen, I, I think um, I think to make no mistake, there there has been tremendous progress in the world coming together and the focus being on the importance of playing clean and playing fair. And I don't think you ever get to the point where, uh, whether it's an Armstrong case or a Sun Yang case or the Russia state-sponsored doping. I mean, like imagine 20 years ago, do we really think two whistleblowers would have had a belief in fair play, Vitaly and Yulia stepping off and stand up against a powerful, <laughs> you know, a dictator uh, in Russia and expose a state-run um, anti, you know, doping program. I, I don't think any of us would have ever imagined that would have been possible. And and that was possible because they saw the world, and and they'll specifically tell you, you know, they saw, you know, places like Asada, places like Usada, and the Lance Armstrong case where. Playing by the rules actually did matter, and, and countries were trying to do their best to ensure clean athletes had the right to compete on a level playing field. And so we've made tremendous progress in sending a, a really clear message that there are independent agencies out there who have your back and are going to protect you if you you know play by these rules and stand up. Um, so I think we have we have to look at the progress that's been made. That said, yeah, there's still states, unfortunately, as well as organizations, whether it's Nike, Oregon Project, or others who are trying to win and doing everything within their power um, to try to gain an advantage. And we've got to continue to fine tune the system to ensure that it's level and fair for all athletes across the globe, because we're only as good as the weakest link. And unfortunately there's, you know, too many weak links in the chain um, and no system's perfect. And let's be clear, we're, and, and nobody's saying athletes from around the world aren't all, whether US or Australian tempted to dope, but we've got to make sure the system's in place um, in those countries where athletes are tempted to dope, you know, stop them, detect them, expose them, but more importantly, reinforce the idea and deter others who might be willing to go down that same path. Travis, thanks very much for joining us on Onside today. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tim. Really appreciate it. Travis Target, who's the CEO of the US Anti-Doping Agency. More with Onside in just a moment. This is Onside, the official podcast of ASADA. Hello, welcome back to One Side. Time now for So I Was Wondering, where Asada answers questions from the public. And today's questions relate to GW1516. And to answer the questions, we've been joined by Dr. Larry Treese from the Australian Sports Drug Medical Advisory Committee. Larry, just tell us about GW1516. What's it all about? Thanks, Tim. GW1516 is a compound that's known as a metabolic modulator and it was investigated by pharmaceutical companies in the 90s as a potential treatment for obesity, 
high cholesterol and heart disease. When it was in development, uh, it was shown that it might alter the metabolism of fat and that's one of the reasons why athletes may look to use that to strip fat or increase their endurance. So why do people take it for sports? But it, so it's an endurance aspect to it that they take it for? It was initially investigated and shown that it may mimic the effects of exercise. So when combined with a training program may increase endurance and reduce fat, therefore helping performance. So it's very much a banned drug? It is, absolutely. And it's not just banned because of its performance, uh, potential performance enhancing effect. The primary reason it's banned is because it's a Schedule 10 poison and it's dangerous to health. Is it a common drug that's used by athletes? It's not that common, although we are seeing a number of anti-doping cases emerge. The concern is that when it was looked at in animal trials, it was shown to rapidly cause cancer in multiple different organs and therefore it's been made a poison and banned for use uh, or sale or distribution in Australia. So essentially what you're doing is, is warning athletes of the health dangers because a lot of them may not be aware of the problems and the side effects that may be inherent in something like this. Absolutely. Our primary concern is the health of the athlete as well as clean performance. So athletes need to know that in multiple studies in animals that GW15-16 was associated with the rapid growth of cancers of the reproductive organs of the liver and other tissues in the body as well. So there's not just the risk of an anti-doping rule violation for athletes who might be found to be using this, but there's a significant health risk as well. Just on the availability of this drug, are you finding that it is becoming readily available and, and that's why people are using it? I believe there's been 31 athletes that have tested positive to GW15-16 since 2009. In the year of 2013, WADA released its first global warning and we're continuing to reinforce this message to athletes. Because it's a Schedule 10 poison, it's not permitted to be sold in any product in Australia. However, we do find that it can be a contaminant in some supplements that are imported, particularly those purchased over the internet. So that's what I was getting to now was people may not necessarily be buying this particular product, but it... Uh and if it's not batch tested, it can be found in, in supplements. Absolutely. That's a really important thing. So it's not necessarily going to be listed on the ingredient in any particular supplement. And the athlete might not be intentionally trying to use the product, but might be exposed to it through contamination, which is one of the reasons why we always recommend a batch tested supplement. Right, Larry. Thanks very much for joining us today on Onside. That was Dr. Larry Treese from the Australian Sports Drug Medical Advisory Committee. More with Onside in just a moment. Time now for a fast fact. ASADA offers a range of anti-doping education opportunities for all athletes, from beginners to elites. For an introduction to anti-doping, check out our new Clean Sport 101 course. Go to the ASADA website and click on e-learning. That was Senior ASADA Education Officer Cheryl Colthoffen. Thanks for listening to Onside. I'm Tim Gavel. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of the Australian Sports Anti-Doping Authority. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to executiveoffice at asada.gov.au. For more information about clean, fair sport, visit our website, asada.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.